0: Welcome to Ecobolic Radio, a listening experience dedicated to making the world stronger, one conversation at a time, because strength is never a weakness. Alright, welcome to Ecobolic Radio with your host, Eric Woodski. In today's episode, I get to sit down with longtime friend and board-certified physician, Dr. Fenula McHale. Dr. McHale resides in Dublin, Ireland, and she's worked with athletes at the highest level, including UFC superstar Conor McGregor. But in this episode, we're going to really break down her passion for functional medicine, her own athletic career, and how being a functional medicine doctor has allowed her to reach epic levels of human performance in her own training, as well as success with clients through proper nutrition and programming and psychological well being. Without further ado, Dr. Fanula McHale. All right, so it has been forever since we got to talk um, in person, and it seems like our paths have crossed a million times up to this point. I was thinking about this earlier. We have known each other for almost a decade.
1: That's for sure. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> and, so, and, uh, and so how I knew that it had been that long was I got a Facebook update, as we usually do, and it was from Homestead, Sweden, when, oh, yeah. yeah, when you guys found my missing ball cap and did a photo shoot with it, and then sent it to me like ransom. So, Fanula, yes, welcome funny. to the show. <laughs> Barney Stone issue. <laughs> did you kiss the Barney
1: Stone? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. You'll never forget well, that.
0: Well, and, and you know what's funny is we were. Uh, it was that was the same trip where oh, and I hope this doesn't get me into trouble. So that was the same trip that uh, a girl from Norway had asked me to go for for a drink. And uh, so I went and I had a, you know, whatever, we had a drink and I was walking her back to her hotel and I ran into you guys on the street, right? <laughs> and uh, and so I got so distracted by you guys that I sort of was like, I'll check you later, chick, as she like went back to her hotel room. And I think your exact words were, well, don't you wanna walk her to her door? And I'm like, <coughs> I'm like nah, i'm good i'm good <laughs>
1: oh god i remember that that was a fun trip that was a good trip and that's
0: that's sort of where our uh our relationship started in a, in a lot of regards and we've stayed in touch off and on ever since so yeah sure. with that being said um give us a, a short rundown for those that'll be first introduced to you in terms of how you got started in what we think of as the general fitness industry, but also the fact that you're a medical doctor and you were an athlete and you're all these things. So just give us like the five minute intro to Fanula McHale.
1: Awesome. Well, I guess I started out studying medicine uh, and I was studying actually at the time when I made you do the PSCP one. So, um, I, I graduated in 2010 in Trinity college in Dublin. Um, but I guess prior to that, I had started and I suppose around the time that I met you, I started to study functional medicine and obviously became very passionate about that. Largely because of, well, initially because of the impact on my own health, but thereafter, you know, just very passionate about the study of it itself. Um, And so I've pursued that route ever since. Um, And I I love it, obviously, (laughs) Um, and I guess career wise, I've worked with a variety of people from people with chronic diseases. Um, to people, I suppose, looking to optimise health. So, you know, to to maximise on on, on factors in terms of sports performance as well. So many athletes over the years. Um, and again, lately, or well, I suppose not so much lately, <laughs> but the IV therapies has been, has been a, a factor too in, in the career. Now, also, I suppose you mentioned the athletic side of things. I suppose I grew up as a competitive swimmer. Um, something I do definitely miss, um, and through yourself. And I remember Ryan Fen- Fenley. I think it was at PICP two,
0: yeah.
1: and we were doing the one RM deadlift. And I just remember you guys really encouraging me to do powerlifting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that guy. And
1: so I went. I went home after that course. I think it was in Southampton in the UK. I went home, I looked at the competitions, and it went from there. (laughs) Well, and jumping
0: back a little bit before we get rolling into that, you started your medical sort of studies in orthopedics.
1: Yes, I did. So after I did my internship, I went in to do orthopedics, yeah, for sure. So that was actually kind of the route that I was, I I guess it was a toss-up between would I pursue the surgical side of things, or would I do the functional medicine? Um, and I think as time went on, you know, it just it just felt right because I was doing the S&C side of things. And, you know, I've in life, I hate to have regrets um, and advised against, obviously, that move. Because, again, in Ireland, it, it, no more than anywhere else in the world, doing functional medicine was not really hard, highly regarded at the time. Right. It was seen as a huge risk. Um, but, you know... It, uh, I couldn't escape the fact that this is my passion you know i'd much rather be sitting at home reading that stuff than orthopedics unfortunately right um and just i just loved it like you know i loved and i also loved mixing that knowledge the functional medicine knowledge with sports performance and learning the snc and again applying it to myself and friends initially um, and then seeing the impact it was having on clients, and I just felt there was no other way that I could do anything else. Right. And um, I was just going to take the risk. So I guess what I did then was I started to do, you know, night shifts in the hospital financially, obviously, to keep keep money coming in, while I was just getting started on doing the functional medicine and building up a client base. And yeah, over time, obviously, the success of it grew, and the results I was getting with clients grew. Um, and I, I was, was fortunate enough to develop a strong client base to be able to, to, to um, leave behind the conventional side—not leave behind the conventional side of things, but rather move away from working in the hospital and in, in, in that field, and, and, and apply the, the, the things that I'd learned from conventional medicine and my, my medical studies. Um, alongside functional medicine so where it became integrative and again it com- integrating that with the SNC side of things too.
0: Right well and that's the thing I guess so many people look at the traditional route for any career path and they think orthopedics is going to be this guaranteed financial stability mm-hmm. and you're going to be a very classically operating surgeon and everything that goes with that and it and it makes sense from that standpoint, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of people weren't realizing, and I still think it's, uh, and you, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the functional medicine side, when it's performed by somebody with a traditional MD background, there is a massive upside of potential because you're bringing, uh, okay, so I'll get on a soap, not a soapbox, but I'll make a little bit of a statement. So the problem that I've seen from my perspective is there's a lot of people that transition into functional medicine. They transition into functional medicine without a single medical iota of experience. So there's people that are throwing around this term functional medicine and they may be gurus, they may be coaches, they may be marketing experts, they may have written a fucking book, but they're not doctors. And there's a large number of those that have inundated the mainstream aspect of social media. So they're giving significant amounts of information. And, and you can remember this from when we first met, that they would use terms like prescription for everything. Supplements were, this is your prescription. Your training is a prescription. Everything that we're going to do in the fitness side of life is termed prescriptions and loose medical related terms to try to make it sellable. But when people like yourself made the transition out of what we think of as traditional medicine, because, you know, we're very Western in our mentalities into what you're going to talk about is functional medicine. You brought a whole nother level, in my opinion, of expertise and understanding to a subject. And a lot of people that were full of shit, you come along and you're like, well, let me clarify that because from a scientific standpoint, what you're saying may not exactly be correct. And how much of a sort of a a kick in the butt that a lot of these uneducated people receive when people like yourself come in and you're like, well, let's take this about a thousand layers deeper in what is really happening. Sure.
1: And I guess that that has been, something that I've tried to, I mean, I've been teaching, you know, functional medicine and, and, and teaching it to people who don't have the medical knowledge and suppose, effectively reiterating that it, it, all of what you just touched on there, Derek, is is huge, you know, because there's one thing as well that people can't learn from a book, you know, right. you, you can't learn experience with people um, and that's something that's, that's huge. Um, you don't learn, like you, you can do a nutritional therapy degree or you can do geez you can even study medicine without having ever interacted with a with a person or a client and functional medicine is very much person-centered right um and again being able to elucidate symptoms and signs from person from a person adequately is is part of the skill too and i guess what you what i suppose i would have noticed um in in, in such individuals as, as you describe is is i suppose they, they seem to just really apply the same mindset as conventional medicine actually right you yeah. know, in the- that, okay, test results shows Z. And um, so I'm going to give them X, Y or Z supplements. So that mentality is the same as let's say somebody has that we take for the sake of argument depression. So number one on my list is SSRI. OK, so as someone who does functional medicine inverted commas, they might give, OK, maybe I'll try some five HTP. It's still not getting to the bones of what functional medicine is, right. i.e., understanding the, the personalized approach to it. So, you know, well, OK, they may have these symptoms of low mood. But what is the, the the pathological process that underlies that? You know, is it a case that maybe they have a simple vitamin deficiency? Or is there gut dysfunction? Or is there an issue with the endocrine system, you know? What, what exactly is it that's causing it? So is 5-HTP actually going to be appropriate does that person have low mood but equally there's features of anxiety in which case 5-HTP may not be ideal for them and in in that sense 5-HTP alone may exacerbate the symptoms because you're not given other support alongside it so again that will depend on the individual too. Somebody may not need support alongside the five HTP. Most people will, but you know, they, 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 these are all of the things that's part of the skill of functional medicine. That's, you know, not not just that's very difficult. There's no protocol. It, that's it. You know, people were given out protocol. protocols. So, okay, I have bloating and I have I'm going to the toilet and it's a little bit irritable, and you know, I have some cramping and my stool is irregular, etc. Et And they're still giving the exact same thing for everyone with the Uh, technically IBS type symptoms okay maybe you have dysbiosis so I'm going to treat everyone with dysbiosis the same thing okay well you don't know what's what is what's what is the the, what's there you know is it that they don't have enough good bacteria is it that they have a whole pile of bad bacteria is there a parasite is there fungal growth what are you dealing with exactly what are the enzymes like so treating one one person may actually make them worse you know that's why sometimes you see with, with individuals with gut dysfunction and you give them a probiotic some people can actually be worse right um and so so the protocol aspect of things is is rarely successful okay it might work for a handful of people no more than let's say if you were to prescribe a medication for someone they only really work for a handful handful of of people
0: people. and it's funny that you say that because this uh this message showed up on either Twitter or Facebook, and it was somebody recalling one of these protocol methods from back in probably 2013, 2014, where somebody at a hypertrophy muscle camp of some sort, you know, and we know what those were. They were huge, you know, <laughs> in like 2011, 2012. Somebody had partially tore from the sounds of it, an achilles tendon at one of these muscle camps. And the person believed That if they drank 16 ounces of pure omega-3 oils based on the recommendation, that they would miraculously heal in time to finish the hypertrophy camp. And obviously, based on the story that was written, not only did it not heal as Achilles tendon, but the athlete was destroyed by it. I mean, the stomach destruction lasted three days. Might as well have got the flu as well as an Achilles tendon.
1: Absolutely, because you look at like supplementation in that regard and you look at a lot of things in the body and there's an intricate balance between this and that. So like if you take a lot of omega-3, then you're obviously going to offset the balance between six and nine. Right. So, you know, what are you doing to the immune system then? Um, and again, those those it's elevated, there's such high doses that were recommended in the past. And, you know, you, most people will know what we're referring to, but, you know, even things like vitamin D. And you see people whacking in massive doses of vitamin D. And again, for some individuals, that may be perfectly appropriate, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, I've seen quite a few people now with, you know, the issues with the parathyroid and and, and such. And again, vitamin D being a fat-soluble vitamin, it's going to take a time for that to rectify. It's, you know... I mean, if it it, it was a water soluble, okay, you could probably accelerate it and the the, the toxicity load would be less, but especially when you're looking at the fat solubles and and the impact that can have, especially vitamin D being quite potent, you know, perceptive in every single cell of the body, the effects are huge and parathyroid probably being the biggest one.
0: Now, when you look at the experiences you've gone through from having been a collegiate level athlete in comparison to the United States system for reference, but like a high level swimmer. And then you transitioned through medical school into weightlifting and then your weightlifting transitioned into a number of different venues, but you have touched in world-class powerlifting. You've touched into world-class fitness competitions. And you're now training for Super League, which we're going to get into in a second, because I find it really fascinating. But the one thing that we've seen since the evolution and the evolution, from my perspective, is an evolution that's been about four years, little less. I'm going to say it's maybe three and a bit. You went from being a really strong athlete to extremely lean. Right. Mm. And that can't be denied. I mean, anyone that has seen you in the last four years is going to see, okay, wow, she went from being jacked to, okay, this is elite level body composition mastery, but you're doing it in a way that is not typical for someone that's achieving these levels. Now, before I let you answer, for those that are playing along at home, elite level mastery meaning which you're not doing extreme ketogenic diets, you're not a carnivore, you're not Uh, running hormone levels uh, that are being exogenously influenced. You're not doing any of those things. You're doing it in a smart, methodical way that I'm sure you can explain in a second is probably a fuck of a lot harder than a lot of shortcut (laughs) takers, but you're doing it in a way that you're not adding extra to your system as a female that you don't have. And even though you're methodical, It's not as radical as what I think a lot of people assume needs to be done. So how did you figure out? Because I I think it's coming back to this functional medicine side of it is a big part of this. How did you figure out through your functional medicine journey, as well as your medical background, as well as your training understanding to be like, okay, this is how I can maintain what I can only assume to be sub 9% body fats without completely losing the plot.
1: Well, I guess part of it was that I never really... You know, that that's the funniest thing. It was never really an item of concern for me, the body composition, right. you know? I was always relatively lean. Always, yes. Like I mean, even when I swam, like even when I was competing in powerlifting, I probably always had abs there. Um, and But yeah, I mean, I was a, a much chunkier athlete i guess um but weight wise you know i haven't changed significantly um i mean i started off competing in sub 63 and now i'm probably around the same right and um, but yes composition has changed dramatically and i guess i attribute the change and the ease of that change well you know i again i have the knowledge to be able to do so but um again you have to remember and i think it's something that people forget is that the body is an adaptive organism and it also needs changes in stimulus so remember i would have done powerlifting quite hard you know pure powerlifting for many many years well i mean many many years i would say I'd probably maybe three years yep. that's how you know and so that was pure relative strength training very little volume but good diet so i would have been low carb back then you know yep. um in a lean mass and then i suppose i went from And and again, there's something that I don't, there's there's a few things to consider. So, you know, people always think about training and diet um, and, you know, meditation sometimes gets thrown in there as well, which is important. Rest, obviously. But, you know, a lot of people don't talk about the psychological component of it, too. Now, um, I suppose... I've been fairly open talking about bits and pieces that have gone on for me psychologically and psychiatrically over the last while. But um, I suppose looking back in hindsight, I would attribute that the, the when I really got lean, and, and you'll probably remember this, was when I switched from doing the relative strength. I actually got a, a, a disc injury, you know, That's right. a lower disc injury. And I was like, I just won the Europeans... Um, and I was going for the worlds that year because I got in second year before. I really wanted to win, and I was I was training at ISI with Owen. And um, you know the the this the. the the disc was starting to pinch i could feed it and i kept ignoring it <laughs> but ultimately as we as we alluded to earlier on in the, in, in the chat today um, we got the mri and obviously there was no way i could compete so um i had to do a lot of rehab so again it was it was you know high, higher rep stuff but i started to do a lot more higher rep hypertrophy type training and at the same time i was increasing the frequency of training right. too so um, again, there was probably psychological stresses going on for me at the time, and training became a therapy. So, I I was going to the gym twice twice a day at that stage, um, and at the same time, I had started to play around with the diet because I was learning a lot more from a functional medicine perspective, and also from an SSC performance perspective because I was studying I think the ISSN course at the mm-hmm. time so i was playing around with things um myself as i always do to be honest you know if i if i read something i'll usually try it on try it on myself first as the guinea pig right for sure <laughs> does and doesn't work in my favour. So again, I went from someone, let's say, who was low carb, relative strength training, to someone who starts whacking in a whole pile of volume. And remember, because I built up such a huge strength, the the weight that I would be lifting for those reps was huge. Right. And because of, I presumably because of the, the competitive swimming background, a huge aerobic capacity was there. And um, again, it was good. It took a while to build up to that, but you know, I could rep, 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 and take very little rest in between and loved it, don't get me wrong. I was delighted. I really, really enjoyed that training and it it effectively became addictive, you know. I got highs from the training, the pain, the the pump, um, and as such bringing in the carbohydrates at the same time. To be honest, it was probably probably largely fueled by the studies I was doing at ISSN um, with the carbohydrates side of things and um, bringing those in and i mean the weight the, the body fat just dropped like, so that's interesting
0: I, like and we'll carry on from this point forward but just an interjection for those that are lifting so when you were training more relative strength and for those that are are trying to figure out terminology a little bit relative strength is going to be predominantly your lower repetition brackets, maximal strength type movements, not doing a lot of metabolic conditioning or any at all. Perhaps Um, Mm. everything was very max load one RM based training stuff. And so when you were in a sense, a metabolically suppressed training athlete, you were controlling body composition through the manipulation of carbohydrate consumption would that be correct
1: well, that that's correct but also i suppose at the time remember you know i was guided a lot by you know my studies of polican as sure. well so you know the carbs are the devil right and um i guess you know you, you get sucked into that very easily you know um and and i did and to be honest i quite liked being low carb yep. um yeah, is it, in terms of psych psychologically, I I felt it was was beneficial, and I guess like I was always lean even before that. Sure. You know, it, even with swimming, I wouldn't have carried a huge amount of body fat as such. Maybe on the legs, obviously quite a bit, but um,
0: but not as a general yeah. statement. So when you started to ramp up not only training volume but multiple sessions a day, and then I would assume started to integrate some different training philosophy. At what point did you realize that you needed to consume more carbohydrate? And when you started consuming carbohydrates in your training system, obviously you were a very clean eater. It wasn't like you were one of these, if it fits your macros people, right? You were very particular about what the nutrient was.
1: Yes, I'll tell you when I started to get um, a little bit more focused on the carbohydrates. I remember it very well. It was actually before the weight cut for the Europeans because I couldn't shift the weight, you know. And I'd done great weight cuts before that, you know, like I would easily lose eight kilos in a week, easy. Right. Um, but I just could not get the weight down this week, you know, that 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 the week of that of that competition, and I really, really needed to get down for it because I I needed to win the Europeans to qualify for the world. So, and. I mean, I knew the competition wouldn't be huge at that at that at that um, level, but I still needed to qualify, and I was carrying the disc injury, so I knew my lifts were not going to be pushing any boundaries there. So it wasn't coming down, and I said, "Listen, I only have one choice here. There's something, you know, it, when when things are not going with, well with the body, you have to take a step back, and it is very hard to do that objectively, you know." Um, But I did have to take a step back to say, hey, what am I? What is not going well? So um, I said, there's only one thing that I haven't yet tried. You know, I can try all the supplements in the world. And I don't think I was taking a huge amount of supplements at that time. Um, I was water loading. It still wasn't really coming down. And I put in the carbs, just a small amount. And all of a sudden, the weight was dropping off that week. You know, it was dramatic. And actually, that's probably what started off the... I suppose I started then to do more research. Why is this happening? This doesn't make any sense. Right. You know, why are the carbohydrates? And I suppose you think of the impact of low carb for so long, on the on the thyroid, even. You know, um, on 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 the stress hormones and the amount of stress I would have been putting on my body. You know, like from the relative type, strength type work. And remember, I would never have been very good at rest. Still, right. Would struggle with rest days. And again, that comes down to the psychology component of it too. And um, which is, you know, that, that, you know, you learn every year and that's probably a big thing that I've learned recently. This, this, this started the realization that actually, you know, girl is not right.
0: <laughs> right.
1: You know, there could be some
0: holes here. So when, so when um, you. As
1: a female as well, you know, that there's, there's different considerations.
0: there. So when you started to make this realization, because right now the reason I bring it up is everybody's sort of circling back again. Ketogenic diets right now are huge. Uh, they've always they've been popular for five years straight now because of different books, and the reemergence of the paleo diet and stuff like this. But ketogenic diets right now, the now infamous carnivore diet that's that people are doing right now. Obviously, some of it is just marketing and fad. But you have sort of been down that road and back a number of times. What was it as as a functional medicine doctor? that you realized in your particular case, and I think this could help a lot of more metabolically-based athletes, what was it that carbohydrates did or were doing? Like, what was it that you realized uh, in, and I think this is an important thing to discuss for the carb-phobic female athlete too. Mm -hmm. Like, what was it that you discovered because you're living proof as a 30-year-old athlete that-
1: You're not supposed to tell about age. Oh my God.
0: I meant to say 22. I, I don't, young, I was she young. was actually a prodigy. She finished doctor school when she was 12. Holy shit. She's Doogie Hauser. But, um, so, but when you did that, like, because there's a lot of female athletes, they just, they're, they're so afraid of carbohydrates and then they just, Oh, he, he's excited. I've got her. Yep. And Sorry. no, you're good. And, uh, And and they're so anti-carbohydrate, but then they get into this cycle where they can't fucking lose a pound of fat, no matter what they do.
1: And I suppose the other thing that we're not talking about either is is calories, you know? Oh, and that
0: was my second question, so I'm glad you're going to it.
1: You know, I mean, the thing is, a lot of the time when people go low-carb, their calories are usually jacked up, you know? Um, the, the the and the and the fat co- composition as well and they're not you know they say they're low carb but they're probably like the what is the ratio that they're taking in you know are they taking in too many carb uh, protein too much protein and not enough uh fats are they taking in too much fat and not not enough protein and are they low carb or are they ketogenic those things come in and are they controlling the calories right um i think over the years um for me <sighs> I think even when I did subsequently then get very lean using carb, I, the other thing to, to factor in as well is that I would go through phases. So no more than with a training program, that has to be changed you know like to for for you can't keep doing the same training program for for months and months on end you can't keep doing the same diet either right and calorie cycling has worked quite well but equally i've had to go back to low carb every so often and have done so with you know i I can't say i would have been too excited about it i remember after the powerlifting competition when i couldn't do the world's my uh coach suggested you know what do a show actually my friend was doing a show at the time so I, i was lean and so I said, OK, you know what, I'll do this sh- do the competition. So I I so on the guidance of, like, I suppose, traditional prep, you would reduce the carbohydrates. And I mean, I started to hold water. I was definitely holding a lot more fat. You know, I would be quite a quick responder to changes and interventions, which is why I've always used myself as a, as, as a good guinea pig. And um, but it just it was not good. My head was not good either. You know, I, my mood was not good. I couldn't train hard. Um and obviously it's gonna take time to adapt to a change in diet as well as every as as with, with training. Mm-hmm. Um but it just it just wasn't it wasn't working. Um, like I, I I like to be able to train hard. Yep. And the purpose of the change in diet too, you know, switching things around is, you know, you change the insulin sensitivity level. If I was to keep whacking in, I mean, there's times where I have a 300 up to 400, sometimes 500 grams of carb per day. In fact, sometimes the diet would be 70% carbohydrate. If I was to keep doing that, then, you know, I mean, they the would get a point where I would, you know, I would start to store the fat. Right. Um, and again, you, you cycle bits and pieces, you know, hormonally, Carbohydrates have always worked well for me in terms of menstruation. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, oh, I don't think there's ever really been a time where I've lost the cycles, despite how lean I am. You know, I mean, I, I find it hard myself sometimes to believe, especially at the moment. Like I'm quite lean, but everything everything's going well in that regard. And that um, sort of
0: proves too that there is a diet component to a lot of these elite runner, elite marathon, uh, aerobic based athletes that immediately assume. That they're going to lose menstruation just because they're in a certain level, yes, and, and that's a yeah. bit of a misconception, isn't it? It could be more diet yes. related.
1: Exactly. Well, there's a. I think always think there's a variety of factors at play when, when females lose the periods, especially when you're looking at training. Like, I mean, there's there's so many other factors to consider besides diet as well. You know, um, but the, 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 you know, you're looking at the food composition as well. So it's not just the macronutrient distribution but you're also looking at the food sources and where are they getting that uh, that, those foods from so uh for example are they taking in a whole pile of simple sugars you know which is obviously not going to be beneficial you know that that there's going to be negative consequences to that and you know when i'm saying carbohydrates i'm talking things like oats rice sweet potato things like that and they are obviously hard carbs, but I'm not having jelly beans before the session, or and I'm not whacking in carb powders during the se- during the session. I've played around with that too, and I, it doesn't tend to, to do me any favors from a performance or body composition right. perspective. And again, for me, it's, it's largely over the years, aside from maybe a blip, Uh, but performance has always been the biggest factor for me like I do not like feeling like I can't train and the thing is for a lot of if we're not talking about females in particular here you know it's it's it's, like I said you don't know that something is not normal unless you've 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 gone outside so females get used to oh I can't get I can't make progress in the gym well you know are you training hard enough like that's the other thing you know i do train shit hard like,
0: yeah you know, well i was just um, gonna say they
1: got a lot of guys in the gym too and you know i couldn't i can't train that hard if i don't have the carbohydrates i simply can't it, i can't reach that place where you know i used to have the mentality i still do to an extent if i do if, if i don't start counting the reps until i feel the pain and i i subsequently heard someone else say that like some famous bodybuilder but, but i a... remember feeling like if i don't get that pain well you, and i don't pass it then it doesn't count.
0: that's that's a good point i had an uncle that's never stepped a foot in a weight room tell me when i was 11 years old talking about lifting weights that the only reps that mattered were the ones that hurt
1: yes right? because what else are you doing you just going through the motions going through the you emotions. just maintaining effectively Yeah. And probably it's not doing anything to the body it's like it's the same by the same principle like you're, you if you're not feeling a bit of hunger mm-hmm. during the day then you're probably not going to be losing any weight you know right. like even if you're growing the hunger hormone you know the, the the impact of that too you don't expect to be losing body composition and feeling all great like no it, huge amount of satiety like that that's just not going to happen you know there is an element of of suffering to, oops to weight loss you know and um, whether that's you know done in any fashion you know and isn't that sort or? of
0: the hard lesson though that people don't want to hear and and
1: yeah would they want to hear what the guru says and says that you know oh it's it's going to be you're going to be able to go low carb you're not going to feel hungry it's all going to be easy and if you follow my diet you're going to lose weight and it's going to be nice and comfortable it isn't yeah you know training and getting results is not comfortable it's not comfortable you know achieve Great things. It, whether whether it's in the gym, whether it's in work, whether it's in life, is not going to be comfortable, and that's part of the fun of it too.
0: Yeah, it is. You know, yeah. like
1: I say to people, like you, you can't, like especially females as well. Like you know, I built up a resistance training background, consistently training for years. You know, and hard. I don't go if if I'm not able to train hard, I I take a rest day.
0: Right. You know, if i'm training hard yes and and that brings up and a really if good I'm not able, point able,
1: then i'm not supposed to be
0: there and that's that's a big struggle i have with athletes male or female alike if they can go to the gym every single day and they're always ready to go to the gym and they never have a day where they're like oh fuck, i don't know if i should be in here they are not training hard enough
1: exactly now don't get me wrong i've had days where i'm like okay i kind of want to train um you know and i'll go in i'm like i'm not really sure but i'll go in anyways and see and then you kind of know you, like yeah. i will feel it straight away i'll be like let's say i do a bit of walking on the treadmill for five minutes to get a bit of, of heat into the joint or do some stretching you, know, you can feel it yeah. in, in the muscle just not happening yeah, like
0: because there's a big difference and you go home you go home but people don't go home right because hey, there's a frustrating thing that i deal with and it's people that feel guilt for missing a workout, like, like a real guilt. And it's like, okay, are you guilty because you're under training and you know it, so you have to train, or do you feel guilt because for some reason you think that by missing a workout or taking a day of recovery, that somehow that's going to lead to a stall in progression? It only leads to a stall in progression if you have not been progressing, which means you have not been training.
1: And when it comes to the female as well, you're looking at the psychiatric component too. you know, the fear that they're going to put on weight if they don't train that day. You know, that because of them, again, although I refer to calories, you know, the, the delicate balance there between energy input versus output and that, you know, that having that kind of mentality whereby, well, like yesterday I trained this amount of time. And that means I burn this amount of calories, so I'm not going to be able to eat as much today, because I didn't train. And oh, I better just do something, because at least then I can eat the food. And there's there's That's a huge component. So looking too. at
0: that component, looking at the psychology of the, uh, of the athlete from your perspective as a as a doctor, as well as the perspective of caloric counting, depending which one you want to tackle first, how. Interconnected are they? How important is caloric counting for success? But also, how do you deal with the psychology of somebody that isn't willing to maybe really take care of those finite details and think that they can sort of fix a hole in the ground by ignoring it? Right? Like they're they're not doing the the detail work and they think, like you say, well I'll just go and walk in the treadmill for forty five minutes to appease my guilt instead of eating really well and training like an animal yeah
1: so again that that and again that's where i apply the functional medicine side of things and i can talk about this you know and i'm not sitting here saying i'm an angel like i've been there myself
0: for you know?
1: sure so i can relate a hugely um like you know i refer to the blip you know i got sucked into into that too um and i suppose it comes down to, to the person themselves and and having somebody who is going to sit there and say no like you you see a lot of trainers and obviously like you have to look at the fact that they're you know to taking the client on for a session and they there needs to be someone who's guiding you know no more than i say a, a doctor can't treat themselves the, the, if an individual is going to be especially if we're talking about an athlete here and let's be honest a lot of people now are doing athletic level training they may not be competing but like you see a lot of people are going getting pts and they're training at that level or at that frequency and so the, the person that's guiding them is it can, can have a huge impact on on the individual as you'll well know and it can be hard to assess the needs of the individual. So, for example, as a doctor and as a doctor in functional medicine, the reason why it's different is because for my clients, they may not even need any nutrition tweaks. They may not need any supplements. They may not need a training plan. They may need counseling,
0: you know. Right, right.
1: Don't having the balls to say that to the client who's coming for, let's say they're coming for, you know, oh, she's going to give me this magic training program uh, or she's going to give me this supplement program where I'm not going to have an eating disorder anymore. Unfortunately, isn't going to work. No. Um, you know, and I'm not going to be be able to, to, you know, my my job. I'm not a counselor. You know, I can advise them along that route. But in, in, in oftentimes, is that's that's what's necessary, and I'm saying that as someone who has had to undergo counselling herself for a variety of issues and seeing the benefit of that. And um, again, something that I would have neglected. And like I said, it's it's a learning journey. It's a learning process for all of us. And like you said, I practice what I preach. And that was probably one of the factors of, let's say, the the tools at my disposal that I was, you know, I applied everything very effectively, obviously, in terms of nutrition, training and supplements and, you know, a a little bit of a stab at meditation. And that's all I would call it. But, you know, I decided, you know what, spirituality, that sort of stuff or counseling. I don't need that. Like, you know. But obviously, you know, you, 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 you end up at a point where maybe, maybe you do. Um, and the benefits of that for me have been huge. And as, so, as seeing that, no more than when I saw a functional medicine person saw the benefit of that to myself. And then using that as another tune in my toolbox in terms of referral for the client. So, it, it, you know, that's, it, it's a psychological, psychiatric issue rather than a new training program or a new, a new diet program. Now, the, like counseling, like I said, for me, was a, a less, a, not much to do with the training or the, the, the eating side of things. and so never really an issue. Um, other things just by Are way it? of the school. Yeah. <laughs> and,
0: and when you start to get people on that right path psychologically and you get them moving in the right direction and, and you're going to experiment with different training programs, you're going to do different mm-hmm. ideas in terms of diet, nutrition and restoration and supplementation, when you start to look at some of the more finite stuff, stuff that people make a quick buck off of, or people that are selling because they use it as a way to persuade people to have a different thinking. So for example, you know, ketogenic diet came back into the spotlight the last couple of years, but partially because a new supplement came into the market that goes along with it. So even if the supplement does have like a, a legitimate purpose and it's an excellent supplement, but that's... That's sort of the motivational machine for, say, ketogenic diets right now with keto salts. Um, yeah. When you look at stuff like that from a medical standpoint, so, so people understand where I'm going with this thought. A lot, of, a lot of what the good doctor does is based on science. And science mixed with experience, with physiology, with everything that goes down that road. So when I start to throw these questions at her, I'm taking questions from a very one-dimensional standpoint right now, meaning which? We know that the body is this evolutionary process that's been doing this shit for a long time. So the fact that a keto salt jumps into the market six months ago does not mean that it completely rewrites 40,000 years of human evolution. The body's the body, nutrition's nutrition, shit, shit the way it's been for a thousand fucking years. So if I make a new supplement tomorrow and I start selling it and tell people that it's going to completely change how human physiology functions and fat loss... I'm a fucking asshole, okay? So that's just the reality of it. It doesn't mean that a supplement's bad. It just means that there's nothing that's going to be created today that's going to undo our evolution. So with that being said, how do you deal with that?
1: Well, I mean, that's uh, that's why people come to me, I guess. (laughs) Right you know like and, and the thing is maybe that supplement will be groundbreaking for one individual at one point in time of their life right. and that is that is the fascinating thing about the human body is uh, you know it, it changes it, it, there's there's age is only is one factor there's there's a variety of things that change in the in, in, in one person's life that influence the requirements you know there's this you know supplements are just that you know and yes they can have huge potential to to one person at, at, but even within that one person at a specific point in time in life it, just because one supplement is let's say okay let's say for the sake of argument this ketogenic salt works amazing for one person and they get shredded <laughs> in two weeks that doesn't mean that let's say that's going to keep working for the rest of their life it's purely not a ketogenic salt you know
0: <laughs> right right and it, it,
1: you know the, the, so the, the, and what's going to happen to the metabolism it adapts the Potentially on the on the hormonal system, the endocrine sided the system, the you know the gut. How how is that affected by it? You know, what's the fibre composition of the food? Things th- things like that. So there's so many different avenues to consider. And it's like you said, it's the same way. As there's no perfect diet for anyone, it, and that's where clinical acumen comes in because you need to be able to identify what's appropriate for that person at that point in time. And again, there's even it's not just alone the calories. It's not the macronutrient composition. It's not the micronutrient nutrient side of things too supplements but also you know the the, where are they getting the food from right you know that's that people neglect a lot like you know how big how
0: big is that part of it how big is sourcing of nutrition
1: i think that's huge you know especially nowadays like and, and and rotating foods you know like i was listening to a podcast like eric serrano did the other day you know and he was saying you know that like effectively like if you look at the hunter gatherer you know let's say they went out and they hunt for Deer and they have their supply of deer, but then there's no they they don't get anything for let's say another two weeks or so, so they're kind of living on the venison for let's say two weeks. And if they find a nut on the ground, they find they pick up the nut and eat that right. Um, and the next week they don't have any venison, so they pick up turkey. Now, I suppose but that 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 principle is something that I would apply hugely, so again variety of food and again i've gone through the bodybuilder stage of chicken broccoli and all the rest and 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 that's not ideal for for anyone you know especially you're looking at food nowadays like chicken are trying to avoid if anything no Um, kidding yeah i mean i try to if you can turkey is probably more ideal i try to get like plenty of um, venison now we're lucky in ireland obviously the the beef quality is quite good but lots of fish is something that i've incorporated recently and i would have to say probably the state I'm in at the moment, again, it's probably the best condition I've been with the, the best strength, and again, I would attribute that to really honing in on all of those bits and pieces because I've had to. And um, again, because I you are
0: that, like for people that are listening and will see your images, they have to understand this because you are a natural competing athlete.
1: Yeah, and in... that's what I always—that's why I've said, you know. But at the same time, I'm not going around eating shit either all day long, yep. you know like okay maybe one day or two, like if if i eat up like okay don't i of course i love donuts and recently i did have donuts and i didn't feel so good afterwards you know right. um, and so those things for me like it's more important for me to feel good you know in a day-to-day basis like competition is all well and good but i'm i, I always have been more about the process yeah. and, and and you know because i have been in bad dark places personally and um, emotionally psychologically i don't want to feel like that anymore so our right. our so i will do whatever it takes to feel feel that good and if i need to eat well to to be able to get the most out of my training to not feel sluggish then i will do that and i feel the benefit like i mean you see you know yes i'm natural but you will see the things that i do is not something that everyone is going to be doing like i mean i'm juicing the turmeric i chop up the turmeric and i mix it in hot water as well as cold water like i get all of those things and i make an effort to do so you know well, i yeah. put herbs and spices and things like that you know and people will say that's extreme and it's too much but it's not if, if you're really you, that's, that's what it takes, unfortunately. And but, the training. I mean, I'm tra- I train hard. Like but shit.
0: is it extreme when the alternative is shortcuts and pharmaceuticals?
1: Absolutely. Right? You know? So
0: that to me, you know, and people know this that listen to the show because I'm getting older. I do take HRT, but we're talking about people that are taking all, like the fucking kitchen sink. Taking oh, my
1: like you see girls, they take like men's doses of anabolics.
0: Men, men's that? doses of anabolics. One of the best quotes I've heard in a long time was on Ben Pakalski's podcast with Dr. Eric Serrano. And, and he's one of your mentors in the medical field. And and he made a, a comment that he's never seen a physiological improvement over 600 milligrams of testosterone a week.
1: Yes, he, I
0: saw that. Practice. Yeah. And he said that, you know, all the negative health consequences follow suit. And here's what's crazy. So as a guy that, you know, I'm 40 years old, and when I listen to 600 milligrams a week, that's shocking to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think he referred to higher doses than that. Yes.
0: So the fact that he then went on to talk about people that were using what sounded to be about uh, 100 times that dose a week. <laughs> Roughly, you know, so and uh, in Ryan Fanley, who was on the podcast, you know, a few weeks back had a client die, a young guy die before he could uh, have a conversation about these extreme dosing. So we got people that are willing to inject themselves with extreme doses of pharmaceuticals, but they won't take 10 fucking minutes to juice some turmeric.
1: Tell me about it. You know, I I was speaking to a guy the other day and he's not an athlete as such, but, you know, he was asking, oh, will I take this? Will I take that? And I said, well, well what's the diet? And like, oh, I don't like dieting, you know, right? <laughs> It, it, it's, What's the training like? Oh, I'm not really training. Like I'm going on the holidays, and if you're okay, yeah, yeah. So we want to take a bit of anavar. So
0: yeah, take anavar, anavar, Aniv- and Sustanon and big macs, right?
1: Yeah, and a bit of clen as well. Yeah, sure
0: take, some, <laughs> take some cleanse so I can eat those pizzas. I don't like
1: dieting. Like <laughs> yeah, come on, like that's ridiculous. And they don't even consider because, and you know, I think I have to say it's probably largely like propagated by the social media side of things. People are. Just so used to this quick fix, and especially okay, whatever about the male side of things, the female side of things is terrible because you see, oh, you see, girls like they, they post up and they have a flat stomach and they have you know, you can sort of see the abdominal muscles, but they have no physique, so there's no muscle there as such. No. So, all they're an expert in is being able to cut calories, and that in itself is com- is completely different to. Like, you know, what I suppose is fitness, you know, fitness is health and fitness is performance and being able to do stuff. It's not just going to the gym and doing a few, you know, these fat exercises for the glutes and, you know, cutting calories down to 800 per day. Right. That's that's easy to do, to be honest. Like, yes. it's easy to show the abs. You just don't eat anything. Yep. Um, and and you know then you see people on there think they, to, they expect to be able to get this type of body by doing stupid whatever exercises they seem to be doing to, to, to get that type of body um, and, and and eating no, no food. but for most people hormonally, you know, unless you're the Instagram model sitting on a beach in South California, you know, getting the sun and resting all day long and really not doing a huge amount, then it's very, you know, you're not, nice tan always helps on the photos. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, it, and you're, but you're the person who's working eight hours a day, nine to five, sitting down at the desk all day as well, which is another factor, the, 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 the basic energy output per day. Then you, that, that's not something that's promoted for fitness or health. You know right. the the health component is often neglected, and that's what you see too. People don't people don't care about health anymore. Actually, no, no, you know it,
0: it's just like, like
1: what can I take to look like this? And yeah. that's you know it doesn't matter. Okay, but there's a side effect profile here. I don't care. I'll take it. Yes,
0: you know yeah they think the side But effects...
1: even, you also forget that you, even if you do take a bit of gear then you're still going to have to do the other work around it like it isn't going to magically happen that nope. way either and then what happens they become frustrated because they take their anivar and it doesn't do anything oh so i have to take something else as well
0: yes even... the anivar wasn't strong <laughs> enough when what yeah, the problem the was D. is yeah and at the end of the day <laughs> their their habits their mind and their work ethic work ethic exactly. were what wasn't strong enough like that's, that was what was weak. What was weak is them, not the drug. And so yeah. when you make that transition and athletics has always been the underlining motivation for you and for people that are listening, hopefully they'll jump on. A your so- flip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and they'll jump on your social media and, and things like that. And recently I just watched that, you know, you're back squatting, you know, 263 pounds or 120 kilos. You're what, maybe 61, 62 kilos.
1: 60, uh, 16 at the moment, Well, I supposed to weigh in today, but we're postponing that.
0: (laughs) Right. So, so you're a 60 kilo athlete doing double body weight squats in training in preparation, (laughs) Yeah, in preparation for super league. Now, what is super league for those that aren't familiar with it? And why is there such a unique combination of things happening for you? You're dieting for a show. So you look super lean, but you're also really strong and you're working on your fitness. So what? Yeah. why is that?
1: Well, I guess Super League is awesome. And uh, big thanks to Sue Farrell for getting me involved. Um, Funny enough, know, I got a text
0: from her today right before the uh, podcast. Yeah. And I was like, hey, oddly enough, yeah. we'll be talking about but,
1: it. So she was very good to get in touch with me about the competition. Again, I'm new to it myself. Um, now, the, there's, there's different components of Super League. And you know what attracted me hugely to Super League was the fact that it really is a, a, an athletic you know, they did. Even the terminology is great. You know, super league, superhuman, and it's really all about building this great body. I think, in terms of, you know, as people say, great body, it sounds like an aesthetic component, but rather that you know, there's there's so many aspects of, of human performance that are integrated into the into the into the competition side of things. So you're looking at power, so relative strength. But what I really like about it is that it's the three RM rather than the one RM. So let's say you're not for someone like me at my age. I don't particularly want to be going to one rms because I've been there in injury, and I don't want to go there again. Three sure. RM is that bit safer, and I also feel like it's a much better measure of strength for individuals because, you know, there's so many things that come into play with the one RM. You know, um, somebody moves in front of you, and you're doing the lift. Fuck it
0: up! Fuck it off! No, <laughs> you're good. I drop <laughs> fucks all the time. <laughs>
1: okay. so I say fuck, though. Oh, you say uh, fook, so it's a I little like bit different. It. <laughs> <laughs> see a difference (laughs) but i like the 3rm um i really do think it's good um a a good way of of assessing an athlete and even the even the 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 bench and the deadlift i i like the lift now i think somewhere along the line there was oh no that was me i I thought there was a press in there but i was wrong again i'm all new to this too um so that was the power series and like that just really suits, suits suits me and and I love it and I also like the fact that it's a virtual series so at the moment it's virtual and then obviously there's the, there's the Vegas event in September which yep. I'm super looking forward to but the, I like the fact that it's virtual you know why because you can do it in the comfort of your own gym so right. I, 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 I am the type of person I like routine I like, you know, my, I, I, I always go to the same squat rack in the gym. If there's someone using it at the time, I wait until they're finished. Cause I'm right. like, that squat rack. I like that
0: bar. It's sort <laughs> of like, like the, up. uh, the early days of CrossFit. And I'm not sure if it's still this way where you could submit your times for a given wad. And that, yeah, and if you filmed it, et cetera, it would rank you and qualify you. There's something very logical about doing it that way.
1: Especially in this day and age.
0: Yeah. Like you can get to the championships eventually, and that's important because people want to meet the people they admire. But in the beginning, yeah, you shouldn't have to go to a, a location every single time you want to put a barbell on your back.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, if you look at it, like, even, you know, in terms of the stress that goes around us, you know, like I said, for me, like, personally, I love it because... I, I i train the same time every day well i at least try to and you know i when i'm familiar with something i can do my best lifts I, I can warm up on the leg curl i know where the leg curl is going to be i know where the this you know i i like the familiarity of, of things yes. especially when i'm going for heavy lifting it keeps me calm in the head so that i can make sure that the body is working pretty right. well Absolutely. and i love that i really really love that now what I suppose I was saying to Sue as well was, like, the only thing I found challenging the last week was the fact that, obviously, I'm on GNT, G- so <laughs> I was the first to go. And, you know, in a powerlifting meet, you can, um, you know, you know what you need to do to kind of win or yep. to, like, let's say, beat the other person. I, I found that challenging. And, again, 3RM not something, although I do it relatively in training, I didn't, I had taken rest that week, so, um which again, I wouldn't have taken that amount of rest to know what the performance benefit would be. So, again, in hindsight, I probably could have gone heavier.
0: Now, for... with the other side of it, is there a composition aesthetic side?
1: Yes, and so this is the fabulous thing that I like. Really great. So, in the in the 3D, I think it's called the 3D series. There is there is an aesthetics component to it. But what's beautiful about it is there's no, none of the posing on the stages I don't like no silly bikini and all right no. yeah makeup and hair and nails which for me just seems absolutely ridiculous in the sense of for for me because I the, you enough. know if you think about it, in the environment that I'm in in the gym it's like there's no makeup it's raw it's you know there's chalk everywhere who wears not, who
0: wears see-through pretty, high heels like... <laughs> right i've never seen a girl <laughs> yeah, train in see-through like high heels in my higher.
1: life i really think that's an inappropriate measure of the work that you do in the gym yes and um, but with a super league, it's it's measurements, it's metrics. So you know, uh, there's a, there's a measure of the of the waist, the legs, the upper body, and the, the ratios of those. So the proportions. That's and it's all- very
0: interesting. That goes back to it. like the 1950s, 60s. Steve Reeves, perfect. Like back then, before female bodybuilding took off, but the perfect physique was arms and calves were the same size as the neck and the chest yes. to weight, chest to waist ratios of a of a Steve Reeves was considered the perfect man, right? Which you know. those days are fucking dead but
1: but it's objective you know it is I to Do with your freaking tan like i mean like, i did that show when um, where was it the i think it was the the body power classic and I, like you know you're trying to figure out okay why did i place this and like something to do with the tan and the hair like what right <laughs> are you fucking kidding me
0: nothing to do with your actual training zero A friend of mine who I think you'll remember, um, a a girl from Finland that used to be in our industry, she made reference one time a number of years ago that she was working as an IFBB judge for the Finnish championships. She had been a competitor herself, but she was working as one of the judges. And she said that they had so many figure competitors that day at the uh, IFBB show in Finland that they estimated... If they ran them at a certain pace, someone figured it out on a stop clock. If they ran them across the at the stage at a certain pace, each athlete would get 3.2 seconds to stand still on the stage. That was it, because they knew. Well, for one weight class, they had 137 women. Oh God!
1: I and mean, you know how do you judge that? You don't. Like, you don't. You just don't. It's like, and now, I mean, there's another level too that wasn't there a number of years ago, but it is. As much as you'd like, I mean, I don't judge the show or two here and there, and as much as you'd love to, 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 to negate that element of it, but if you've seen the person on social media and you've seen incredible photos that they put up, whether they're edited or not by a photographer, you're still kind of going to be... in it's, Yes. It's hard not to factor that in. We're all humans at the end of the day. Well, know? the dirty or secret. If you've coached that person for a posing session. <laughs> yes, exactly. The <laughs> dirty secret with the fitness industry.
0: Business. Yeah. The fitness industry has always had that dirty secret of, you know, almost like a, a pay to play mentality where. If certain athletes hung out with certain judges and certain scenarios that they if, automatically got pushed up the ladder. But
1: that happens in other fields, too. Oh, my know. God. Look like what just happened even, with
0: gymnastics. Gymnastics yeah. in the United States just had this entire shit show happen, right? So it does happen. And unfortunately, that is the
1: that's the nature of it but it's the again you look at super league and it's all it's it's, it's all objective you
0: exactly can't, and virtual you can't
1: numbers like you know i yep. mean i did a fitness show a show like a few years ago uh, something i loved as well it was it was physique and fitness but the physique was still assessed objectively and i think the critique was my quads were too big and i looked too jacked I'm like okay i, th- I or i, I was t- I, I looked too lean and jacked I'm like okay i thought that was the purpose of it that you could show that you can give sage condition and uh perform like i mean i'm still the, the 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 event itself it was all on the same day weighing in way in the posing and the and the reps setting it was reps for time so to be able to produce stage condition and then perform which i did yeah you know like how am i marked down for that you know
0: <laughs> and it is it becomes I mean, that is way, way too better that, but <laughs> <laughs> absolutely because it does become so subjective right
1: where uh, you know you can't really lie the figures if the person has that waist hip ratio then that's it you know and I think that's amazing and that's the sport
0: you know it is because now you have metrics anytime that you have and obviously I came from a sporting background where everything was black and white Mm. there was zero emotion in my sport it did not exist the emotion was your competitive spirit not anything else and and so for me whenever I struggled with sort of the psychological rebuild of an athlete that had a subjective loss right mm-hmm. and that's a that's a tough thing no one ever talks about that. like how do you put back together somebody that did it perfect and still was told they didn't that's a fucking kick in the face and,
1: and it's psych, like psychology you know huge like-
0: brutal brutal because you know
1: you, bodybuilding as a sport i think you know or, or bodybuilding as a training method i think is fantastic you know and i still use uh, certain bodybuilding yes. uh, techniques because you know what like if you look at, at the sport as well as symmetry proportion and it's effectively hypertrophy trophy in the muscle tissue and yeah. you're often working at the really small muscles and mm-hmm. isolating them it's
0: you know i be that right yeah.
1: yeah, that has been a huge part of my training, still is, you yeah. know. I mean, even though you might see me doing heavy pressing or, or, or you know, heavy squatting, like, I mean, something I've incorporated, like the Serrano press, is really small small, small um, movement, but that has helped me hugely with with the bar, the upper body, you know. Yep. So working on a little bodybuilding, effectively, in that regard, I think is great. And you do, you know, I used it when I was injured because it was something that really helped me. And I would, you know, in terms of like rehab, you know, rehab is effectively hypertrophying the tissue that's weak.
0: 100%. That's what I always tell people. Anyone that thinks that there's no place for specific hypertrophy is typically the same person that also doesn't know how to truly rehab someone back from an injury.
1: Like I was even doing the external rotation and the trap three raises from PICP1. <laughs> sure. yeah, yeah,
0: right. You take it back because... But it, there's value there, you There are tools. <laughs> tools. It, it's, um, hypertrophy work is just bulletproofing of the system to some degree. Now, if all you do is hypertrophy work, yeah, you lose some function and you, and you lose that side of the paradigm. But with that being said, you also don't rehab an ACL with overhead snatch squats. So there's a place for everything. Um, Equally,
1: I suppose with with females and getting lean too, you know, you see the girls, they decide to do the show and this kind of goes back to maybe what we were talking about earlier too is, you know, specific isolation and bodybuilding work, you know, they go into the gym, they just train the glutes for the stage. And actually, I do think you need a certain amount of compound lift for overall you know, to, to get that lean, because you know what, like the hormonal response you get from doing a heavy squat or heavy, heavy deadlift or heavy press, well, okay, maybe not so also much press for press for, for stage, but, you know, those big compound moves are what gets you lean, and again, I would say that, I would attribute that to me, I mean, I could do five by five, and I know I'm going to, that, that, that's enough to keep me lean, I don't yes. need to do the cardio, like, you know, yep. but that would, and it also keeps those, those, those females very, that it keeps them hard without having to take hardeners. so you know without like it would probably minimize the amount of bloody anovar they have to be taking if they just did a few heavy squats besides messing around with some glute bridge that they're not
0: even doing properly you i know? agree 100 <laughs> and and i've talked about this
1: with 100 kilos they're not even doing it properly you
0: know? yeah not at all and, and they're just going through <laughs> movements and there's something to be said about what you're saying. Like when you look at the hardness of an athlete that is doing max effort work on occasion and big mm. movements. Especially female. Yes. When, like you, when you get that female sprinter that's got that 315 back squat or the 380 trap bar deadlift running track at University of Texas. There's just a different look to her than what mm. people get trying to build the same glutes and hamstrings on laying sideways on a leg press every day.
1: It's much denser tissue, you know. Much, you much denser. This. It's also a much different tissue than you see on someone who's inflated on a load of gear.
0: Yes, you get that real There's no puffy. quality to the tissue, Mm-mm. you know. There used to be uh, an old sensei uh, from Korea that my buddy used to work with. And he, used to, and he didn't know the science of it. It was just his explanation in his elder years. But he said that... You can train a muscle and it looks like it grows from the outside in, or you can train a muscle that grows from the inside out. And what he meant by that is people that did these hard, heavy, manual style lifting, that's what he felt grew the muscle from the inside out. Nice. (laughs) Nice, right? So basically, um, I was just going to transition us anyway into some closing thoughts. And what I wanted you to sort of break down for people that are listening is the pros and cons. Um, So basically, the one thing I really wanted to get like a doctor's perspective on that has a lot of experience from both the athletic side as well as the uh, medicine side is... IV therapy, high-dose vitamin C, and some of these other things, and what the pros and cons are?
1: Hmm. Well, I suppose I've used them quite a lot over the years, you know. And yep. um, again, starting off, I mean, how I got into them initially was with uh, some of the UFC people here, you know, um, and using the in, in that element, as, particularly for weight cuts, you know, when when the individuals were quite depleted nutritionally and intervening with the, um, the, the IV infusions at that point to, let's say, you know, replenish deficient stores. And I suppose by seeing the impact it was having clinically on the individuals, the athletes and such, it, it allowed me to learn a lot. So again, simple, you know, again, initially it was just a basic Myers cocktail yep. um, during cutting week, both I suppose at the start of the cut or in the middle of, let's say, um, and then after after Wayne's. <clears throat> and so that gave massive improvements to people um, and different improvements depending on the individual so of course if you whack in a pile of nutrients to someone without having any prior testing as such in terms of their metabolic capacity or you know what their nutrient levels are to begin with and the response is going to be mixed so let's say someone may be a little bit more magnesium sensitive than others Um, Other people may have genetic polymorphisms. So, you you know, like by giving them a huge dose of B vitamins, they're going to see a huge difference to someone who, let's say, already has decent levels and doesn't even, you know, is not going to benefit hugely from a whack of IV nutrients, Or even some, you know, most people are deficient, let's be honest, but the doses that want to tweak in that regard to be different. Now, again, using the, the infusion, I, I suppose, gave marked improvements in terms of mood for, for, for those individuals. You know, you're depleted in cutting week and you put in a lot of you give in nutrients that are otherwise deficient and people were noticing, you know, elation, um, especially if they're quite depleted. Now, when I carry that over to general public, and again started trying it on myself which I had never done prior to that um, I, you know you, you see differences as well so what you see in general public is some people won't notice any difference and they tend to be people who let's say wouldn't be as good with nutrition either. So they wouldn't be as in tune with things like changes in energy levels, changes in sleep patterns, you know, but people who, let's say, are in tune with what's going on physiologically were able to give me really good feedback on how they were feeling depending on the dose. So again, things like improved energy, obviously one, Um, The role of it for people with anxiety. So, again, people would find that, let's say, a a stressful situations that might otherwise otherwise precipitate anxiety or panic, started to report that, let's say, they didn't react in the same way to that stressor. So, you know, let's say it was at work, you know, they tend to be able to cope that bit better. Um, Similarly, you know, uh, concentration, mood focus, the majority of people will notice that that's improved
0: so when and
1: then i suppose if you do have access to the testing which again i started to you know once you do have the testing it opens a huge amount of doors so you're able to tailor the infusion
0: and right. get very specific about it and and that and, makes a big difference and so the argument that people always give that when i bring this up because i'm a big fan of using the iv infusion myself um with the amount of travel i do i always have it done right before i leave and right when i get home for example um because I've, you know, with the 20 hour flights and what have you. And I find that for me, that is a huge boost to my system. I, f- I find that it helps me from getting sick. Um, it helps me with a lot of stuff, but the argument that people always ask are, well, why can't you just get it from oral ingestion? And to a degree you can, but what is the big, the big benefit of going intravenous with the, the vitamins?
1: Well, I guess the first one is that you're bypassing the gut, which for the majority of people is dysfunctional. You know, most people are going around with some elements of dysbiosis, some intestinal permeability, whereby they're not absorbing a lot of nutrients. Equally, I suppose if we look at the nutrient composition of the food that we now consume, it's quite poor compared to what we used to have. So our nutritional requirements are really not being satisfied, no matter how good the diet is. Right. Similarly, if you're looking at people who do our training and exercise, not just sitting on their ass all day, they have a higher turnover of nutrients. So... Their requirements are significantly more elevated. And if you, I suppose, you look at the, the oral supplementation route, some of them are quite well absorbed. But if someone is impaired, they, they've shown that, let's say, even if you take a good multinutrient, which has the recommended dose and probably super optimal doses of nutrients, that even it's the, the uh, usually get it by 30%, I think is the figure offhand. Um, and again, so you take into equation someone maybe who doesn't have as as, 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 as well functioning uh, uh, permeability levels um then you you can probably reduce that even further and you also add into the mix someone who's training who has you know every cell is going to have a huge you know what are you using micronutrients for you're using them obviously a huge amount for energy metabolism and if you're producing more energy you're churning more out you know it's like i say it's like a bank trying to make money if there's more money being consumed then it has to keep printing more and to print that money you need more ink and you need more paper similarly with the cell it needs more nutrients to be able to convert let's say so an energy substrate let's say whether it's glucose or you know the, the byproducts of glucose metabolism to be able to turn out the atp which is your energy currency for the cell so you need those nutrients to be able to to, to 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 for that process to ensue as efficiently as we'd like so again you can see how that's going to have a huge carryover to things like uh body composition too because the the metabolism is that but more efficient you know our ability to extract energy from the food that we're consuming is improved. And the ability to, to, let's say, nutrient distribution is going to be.
0: And so when you look at the stomach permeability as being a major factor, so when we look at that as a fundamental for almost everything in terms of nutrient absorption, how big in your opinion, and and this will be a little bit of a two-parter for you, how big in your opinion is stomach health and permeability? Uh, play in somebody losing body fat and if it does what are a couple things that they could do in their own like habits diet or even secondary supplemental aspects of their nutrition that could heal the stomach to make it more efficient for them to make that composition shift
1: well like I mean the role of the garden body composition is huge you know um i think it's one of the biggest factors because again i time after time i swear to god there's not a day that goes by that i don't get one client that comes Oh, i'm eating this amount of calories super low and they're not lying they're not pretending that they're eating more eating less than they are and they're training x amount of times and it's, it tends to be a lot of x people people who've been on the stage actually and they're not losing any weight and there's a variety of things that that could be, but in most cases, and again, with the again the other element that we didn't really discuss was testing. So yep. again, I have access to the testing, which gives me a lot of data to go on. You know, follow-up testing too, as well, opens so many doors. You, being able to to personalize medicine effectively. So the role of the gut in terms of body composition is huge. It, you know, it, 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 most people that come with that complaint, let's say they know they're not they're taking in very little calories. And if you look at it on paper, it looks pretty good. Even the food composition might be good. They're not eating gluten. They're not eating dairy. They're not eating inflammatory foods. They're probably not even you know, they usually have gotten the food intolerance test and it comes back with everything's on. No, they can't eat anything. So they might be eating, you know, a little bit of chicken, a little bit of rice.
0: Yep.
1: And they're, 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 they're training. So... Okay, regardless of you know what food they're eating, if it's two Mars bars a day and they're putting out the energy, it is the energy output. They should still be losing weight. It might be muscle weight that they're losing, which is not ideal or healthy, but they should still be losing weight. basically energy balance. But what you tend to, tend to see really is in in those cases is I always see a lot of parasites, you know, things of like yep. blastocystis, giardia, and, and again the benefit of of being able to follow up tests. You know, it'd be all well and good if I read that out of a research paper, which you know, we've seen a lot of the research now coming out in rat studies and my studies, um, confirming that. But I've been doing this clinically with pe- with people, um, in, in day in day out for the last number of years. You know, yep. um, and seeing the follow up results, and people are losing the weight. You know, they they they, they come in with that complaint, but over time rectifying the gut function. Whether that be, let's say, parasitic infection or whether it's, you know, candida or other fungal species or indeed other bacteria ghosts that ought not to be there. Yep. And again, in the context of, let's say, suboptimal good, good good, bacteria. So, you know, you're looking at a huge amount of things like the ratio of the good bacteria there and um, the bacteroides for ratio. ratio. So enzymes even enzyme capacity you know are they are they making enough enzymes to break down food and the other big big thing is okay so say we do have parasite where did that come from how do we get this parasite you know it's 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 it usually comes from the food or water and what processes are not working that did not kill this parasite or these organisms how did this imbalance occur in the first place you know right so things like acid secretion becomes important because again that's our first barrier our first defense mechanism to kill microorganisms the, the ones that we don't particularly want right and um, but obviously for activating the protein digesting enzymes too and if we're not making the enzyme processes further up in the gut remember this refers to the lower intestine then obviously we're, we're, we're bringing food further down the digestive tract in much more solidified form than it ought to be and um, and you know things are not broken down as efficiently and how that's going to have an impact further down you know even in terms of the organism component of things that's there so um that's that's part one i guess yep uh, it, again, there's the other aspect as well of that. If there is dysbiosis or impaired permeability, the, the, the endotoxin load that's coming in from the gut, um, and the chronic inflammatory response that's going to be there. Now, that's altering even, you know, cell signalling, um, and you know, brain function too. So right. again, that's going to affect things like cravings. So people will be, you know, looking for sugar all the time because of the tryptophan availability is often affected by that too, depending on what's what you have going on. Um, so there's just, there's so many elements to, to, to gut function aside from even the metabolic component, you know, right. You're,
0: you're and you're so when thinking. you start to look at how complex this is and there's going to be people listening that are like, uh, what could be something that I could start doing right now that could have some benefit on some of these umbrella esque topics that you're covering?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, like, even if you look at the research, there's a huge amount of, like, it shows that if we change the diet alone, that you can see benefits within even a week, you know, in rats, I think it was a day. But I suppose, you while know, what I would usually recommend to someone if they don't have the diagnostics, and again, the first step diagnostic is a stool test, and if you can do that, that's ideal, right. because you're taking the guesswork out. But I suppose, overall, you, the, the general recommendations diet-wise, more fish, um, plenty of fruits and vegetables, um, you know... The foods that we all know that are healthy for us but you know maybe sometimes we need a little bit of reiteration of those but but fish is a big one um if you look at the research it seems to come out fairly high and the fiber component of food too green vegetables as well you know the greens are super important i usually personally try to get them in every every meal of the day and recommend my clients to do so as well um i think that has a huge impact on things and again Looking at the quality of food as well, because even if you look at the soil that a lot of the food is grown in now is poor. So the mineral composition
0: is starting to lack. Things are starting to change. But, but,
1: you know, changing the diet in that regard even has a huge impact. But again, probably the carbohydrate load minimum, you know, specific to the individual's needs, let's say, is probably a better way than saying just low carb. Because low carb doesn't really
0: answer you know, the question. Like yeah. if you,
1: you have to look at different people as well, and something that we probably didn't touch on either is the basic, you know, activity level. What, what, what I can't remember the term offhand now.
0: When you neat,
1: need need non-exercise associated thermogenesis. Term, <laughs> yeah, um, right. I knew it was a fancy term. <laughs> Um, so, you know, that's, that's another thing that, that, you know, if someone's sitting down at the office all day, then that's, it prob- probably has a lot to do, you know, or, or let's say the opposite situation. So I'll take my own example is, you know, I've been walking around a lot during the day and um, I like to stay active, you know, even if I'm working, I try to do it standing up because, um, I think that's, a, has a huge performance benefit as well. And it's low level activity. It's not like going on the treadmill whereby it's probably medium act- intensity right. activity. But I find the low intensity walking around, generally, you know, being on my feet tends to have a good, good um, impact from recovery as well, you know.
0: I think um, so too. But, and I think that's something know. that gets overlooked a lot is the fact that, Absolutely. you know, everybody says, you know, you can't out-train a bad diet. That's common sense. But the other side of that argument is most people are not getting nearly enough daily caloric burn in their life
1: exactly like one one session in the gym is not necessarily going to do it for people no you know and also you have to remember as well as what is the person's goal to you know people get so caught up and they want to be strong they want to be lean they want to be they want to lose weight like you know is your program specific to that goal you know whether it's food you know because especially the females they they tend to want everything and they want it fast like i say to myself as well you know for me staying lean like i like i still do go up in body fat like you know um, and i allow myself to do so deliberately um
0: right
1: i still always have abs but you know like if i'm doing relative strength i'm going to be prepared for the fact there's probably going to be a little bit more
0: body fat come down and that's fine yeah, and it's natural. It should be an yeah. accepted part of the entire process, right? It's it's especially um...
1: for the female and the menstrual cycle. Like your sensitivity to carbohydrates changes dramatically. Like I, I will usually even change the change the loads on depend on the phase of the cycle too, which tends to suit me better. Right. Um,
0: and that's that's probably an entire podcast in itself, yeah. just the manipulation, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and we may have to have that one because it's something that I even used to work with when training female athletes at the collegiate system is manipulating volumes and pattern based on the yes. cyclical nature of the female cycle month to month. Which is
1: huge like i mean i always know if i want to get a one rm i do it on the first day of the cycle because that's when my testosterone is highest and i it's always it's always spot on like last week for the super or two weeks ago for the super league i was so happy because my day one was on that day <laughs>
0: right right and it's things that people don't think about but athletes do weight
1: Bec- cuts it becomes important for the weight cut as well you know
0: uh yeah it's 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 tough to cut weight depending on the the phase of the cycle yeah. well,
1: it's tough but if you know what's going on physiologically you know what tweaks to make
0: yep and you, you you can adjust and you can manipulate. Well, again, probably
1: a whole podcast in oh, itself. <laughs> it'd be a,
0: absolutely, and I, and I think it would be a, a relatively popular one. So we may have to think about that in the future. And yeah, we sure. may do. Uh, we may do like a one of the episodes I do is called the Adult Dose, which is a very specific. It, it's not a, a general conversation. It's more like, so we're going to talk about this one thing for thirty minutes, and and okay, so we may have to we may have to crank one of enough. those out. Yes, absolutely. But as we close up with uh, Dr. Fanula McHale from Ireland, Dublin, Ireland, in specific Ireland, Ireland, (laughs) me and my Canadian hyper pronunciation of words like the Blarney Stone. The Blarney Stone. (laughs) Um, So, is there anything just in closing in terms of people that may be interested in getting a hold of you, people that may want to work with you? What's the easiest way? And I'll put some of this in the show notes in terms of website, Instagram, etc. But what is the easiest way to get a hold of you, typically?
1: I guess through the email side of things. You know, I try to get through Instagram messages as much as I can. And yeah, you got a hundred thousand followers,
0: it, though. It's not. Yeah,
1: but no, I'm pretty good lately, actually. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, like,
1: Instagram's probably like out of all of them. Yeah, it's it's the toughest to get through the messages, but I do I do make an effort too, especially when I'm posting a lot of the research stuff and people have questions. I do try to get back as much as possible. Right. I guess if people have questions relating to or pertaining to the post as such, it's probably better to put it on, put the question on the public forum because. You know, if I always say if, if you have the question, probably somebody else does, at least everyone can benefit from the answer if it's there on the post. On the you know,
0: uh, someone, uh, a friend of mine, and I don't know if you follow her on social media, but Jen Wiederstrom, who is one of the hosts from uh, oh. America's Biggest Loser, she does something really clever. And I noticed that Jen started doing it a couple weeks ago when she gets like a repetitive question. Um, and, it, and they're usually because it's an important one. It's why it's repetitive. A lot of people are, uh, are struggling from it. And hers are predominantly strength and conditioning based. Uh, She'll on her Insta story will post the question, and then she will answer it in person on her Insta story. Right, and and that makes me think like if you're getting you know a health related question that's coming in a lot, and you're like you know what I'll post the question from so and so, and you know and be like hey thanks for the question, and then you do like you know basically a video. You know, yeah. you got to string together a few 10 second monsters, but you give you know a, as much of an answer as you can give for that information. And and it's funny because I normally don't notice stuff like that. Like I like social media a lot in some regards, but in, in other regards, I'm like, ah, I just totally cruise through it. And yeah. I found
1: I, par- following, you, I think, and yeah. as I say to people with social media, you know, you're in control of who you follow and what you're yes. surrounded by.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's it's. It's the the kingdom of Derek. Right. So I, I determine who can come and go from from my place. And, and someone was, you know, having this conversation with me recently about social media marketing. And they're like, you know, the thing that I'm finding really stressful is I'm starting to get quite a large following. I have like 50,000 people and I'm really aware of when people stop following me. And, yeah. uh, and I said to him, I'm like, well, I'm, yeah. And I said, I go, what you have to think of it is, is like, you're the mayor, right? So you're like the mayor of the city of Fanula, right? Yeah. And <laughs> <like that>. yeah. <laughs> kind of right. And so what happens with that responsibility is when you only had a community of 300 people, eh, a lot of them, you know, a lot of them you've probably met. And for the most part, not a lot of people move out of town in a town of 300, but when you have a city of 50,000, or your case, a city of 100,000 people, people are moving in and out every day. Hmm, and, that's true. and it's like, so you can't really take it personal because somebody had to move out of Los Angeles. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> like There's... even
1: I noticed like recently, like I suppose... True, better influences. You know, there's less pictures of me with my clothes off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, hey, just, we're trying to build I mean, you, not break great. you. Come on, keep right that under wraps. The yeah. Yeah. There goes 10,000 followers right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's uh, I, I fully understand what you're saying. Uh, a really good friend of mine has one of the coolest pages on Instagram, but it's uh, like a mountain guide page and, and she's an mm-hmm. athlete. And it's like, you know, she's like, you know, if I just posted a little more skin, (laughs) right, a little more flesh, I'd probably have 10 times the followers. I go true. But you'd also have 10 times the DMs and some of those you can never unsee. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't keep you any longer. Is there anything you wanted to close out with before I uh, let you move oh, on I with think your day? I
1: just want to say thanks so much for having me on, Derek. It's a pleasure. It um, is
0: my absolute, absolute pleasure.
1: pleasure.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that we were able to uh, make this happen. I'll, uh, and you
1: got Junior. I got Junior. you know, Yay.
0: <laughs> and. Uh, it's, uh, it's been really good to speak with you again. It's uh, It's like been too Isaac, long. Like Derek, as always. Um, I don't know if this will come out before or after Summer Strong, but I believe that you will be present this year. Is... Yes,
1: I will. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Absolutely. So uh, hopefully I'll get this uh, released early May so people will know okay. to uh, come and say hello to you in Lexington, South Carolina when you come down. I
1: might even lift.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. I think you'll really enjoy it. So Thank you again for everything and thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Derek. Thanks, Derek. All right, bye bye. Thank you for listening to Ecobolic Radio. For more information about upcoming guests and episodes, please follow Derek Woodski on his Instagram or at DerekWoodski.com.